Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. You guys can be seated. Well, good morning, Horizon West Church. Thank you for being here uh, today. We are, uh, Simon mentioned earlier, we're still riding high from an incredible fall street party last night. Uh, if you had a chance to uh, attend, would you lift a hand up where I can actually not see you, but others can? Uh, oh, I can see you now. Yes, awesome, awesome. Great uh, thing, man. If you served at the event, I especially want to thank you for doing that. And uh, not everyone would know this, I want to give recognition and honor where it's due, but Marcy Chevalis, our campus director, as well as Kelly Berthelot, our logistics coordinator, those two women really took that event uh, by the horns and really did a great job steering that, so help me thank them. Absolutely. Um, and then I also just want to acknowledge, we're not going to single you out, but I want to acknowledge anyone that's in the room, maybe for the first time, uh, because you came to the event last night. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we've already prayed for you, and we've prayed uh, that God would meet you and have an encounter with you in a special way. When we sing songs like, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, uh, we don't just sing a song that sounds good or sounds nice, but, but we're really uh, inviting through a, a musical prayer, so to speak, we're inviting God to do his work uh, here this morning. Uh, we saw it last night, the, the energy, the activity, the excitement, uh, and the connection. My team was sharing this morning, we said, man, I don't know that we've done an event where I was able to, to really make a connection with more, you know, first-time attenders, people in the community, um, and the event really allowed us to do that. So thank you to all that were there, those who served, and uh, we'll run it back next year, Lord willing. So, um, hey, I want to jump uh, into kind of the stream from where we left off last week. Pastor David Lovelace uh, brought us a message, um, and we're just going to kind of keep going in that same vein. And the message that David Lovelace brought was on the idea that God has uniquely created each person, uniquely called each person, uniquely uh, gifted and wired each person, and that God has a dream for your life that he's never given up on. What I want to do today is I want to kind of explore that same idea, but I want to apply it more broadly to the church. In other words, just as God has uniquely wired each individual and God has a unique dream and purpose for each person, so every church that God establishes, every church that is built on Jesus, God has a unique dream and destiny for that church. And so what we're going to do today is look at what that looks like and, and how do we get from where we are to where God would have us to be. I'm going to throw a picture up behind me, and, and don't say out loud, but tell me if this represents certain areas of your life. Your marriage, perhaps, your business partnership, uh, a, a relationship, a friendship, a work situation, where you feel like you're rowing as darn hard as you can, and there's somebody else in the boat rowing the opposite direction. And no matter how hard you strain at the oars, it's not getting you anywhere because the two of you are in misalignment. You're, you're moving in the opposite direction. Now, we would all wish that that's not true. We'd all wish that our relationships, our marriages, our roommate situations, our work situations, that, man, we're in perfect sync and harmony. But if your life is anything like mine, you often find yourself looking around at the people in your life and go, man, I feel like we're pulling in different directions. 
How many of you have ever thought, why can't he or she just do things the way that I would? Which, by the way, is the right way. You never say that. Now, some of you have said it. You, you, but you typically don't say that, but you're thinking, I don't understand why you would operate in that manner. What, what would cause you to let your brain work in such a way that you made that decision? That doesn't make sense to me. Early in my marriage, uh, I, I came across a book title, and it's the only book that I've never read and highly recommend. It's called, I'm Not Crazy, I'm Just Not You. <laughs> I'm like, I, this book could be blank all the way through, and I'm like, that's a great book. Well done. Jo, jo, because that has stuck in my mind ever since. When, when things between Nikki and I, I'm going, man, it seems a little crazy. Or more likely, she's thinking, that seems real crazy. And time out, I'm not crazy. I'm just not you. We're different. We're made to be different. And here's the thing, friends. If we forget that other people are uniquely wired, I said, I said wired, not weird. If we, if we recognize that they're uniquely wired, and that that's on purpose, and that that is a good thing, we will find ourselves digging into our own ideas, and we'll find ourselves pulling in opposite directions. There was a church in the first century in a place called Greece, and the church was called Corinth. And what had happened in this particular church was that the members of the church found themselves rowing in opposite directions. They were having all kinds of problems, all kinds of misalignment, and the Apostle Paul, who was the founding pastor of the church, some of you would know him as the missionary that went all over the world spreading the, the good news of the gospel, building churches in Asia and Europe, and, and the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to this church in Corinth, and we call it 1 Corinthians. He wrote another as well. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what Paul begins to do is to, to address this fact and this issue that part of the reason the Corinthian church is having so many problems, which they are, is that they're pulling in different directions. They're bragging about which of them is following the right apostle. They're arguing about who among them is the smartest and the wisest. The church is preaching messages of conviction, yet tolerating extreme compromise. All of their efforts, all their straining, all their intentions are getting them nowhere because they're not moving together. And what Paul is going to do is he's not going to focus primarily on, hey, you're really all the same because they're not. And neither are we. And if you're married, neither is your spouse. And if you're raising kids, neither are they. We are made different. And what Paul will do in the passage we're going to read in just a moment is Paul is going to reveal that their unique differences, and we can apply this to our, ourselves as well, our unique differences, rather than being the things that make us weak, it is actually the thing that makes us strong if we understand how to be unified around those various differences and move toward a common cause. This applies, by the way, in your marriage and your business and on and on and on, so we're going to address this from the standpoint of a church because we are a church and because that's who it was written to. But these same principles, if you, can, if you can incorporate these into your daily life and your relationships and your work, it will be transformative for you. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 7 to 13. And what I want to do is extract what I see as three unifying forces within the church that Paul is going to invite them back to. Read along with me. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 7. 
To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All of these empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one and each individual as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, all were made to drink of one and the same Spirit. So Paul is not going to dodge the idea that there are significant, and in some cases maybe stark differences within the church. What he's going to say is, yes, and there are three things at least that are more important and more unifying than any of that. Number one, he says that as the church, we have one goal. We can unify around this one goal. Verse seven, he says the term, God gives these gifts for the common good. This word in the original language is sumpero. It basically means something that is beneficial for the whole and not just the part. So he says these manifest differences in our personalities and our wiring and our gifting, these are different, but they are given so that we might be mutually uh, beneficial to one another. So different, but moving us in a common direction. Obviously, we know that one of the reasons that things end up going south is because there's not clarity on what the desired outcome is to begin with. You go, man, I'm making all these choices for the good of my family. Have you asked your spouse what she desires the outcome to be? Do you talk about your dreams? Do you talk about where do you want to be in 10 years? Well, I'm working, I'm making all this money. Have you asked your wife if money is really what she's after? Have you asked your husband, is, is this desired outcome that you have for the, has, have you asked your business partner, like, if you don't have a common goal, you're going to end up moving in different directions. As a pastor of a church, it's, it's always a bit humorous to me when I or we are critiqued for things we're not even trying to do. <laughs> time to time, I, I don't hear this a lot, but from time to time I hear things like, pastor, you weren't very clear about who we should be voting for in November. Yeah, I wasn't trying to be clear about that. <laughs> or, or you didn't address what such and such celebrity pastor said about such and such hot topic. Yeah, it's not really my concern. Week in and week out as I'm pastoring a local church. Or the production quality at your church is good, but it's not quite as good as where we came from. Not too worried about that. See, you can, and, and those could all be, but hey, that doesn't really work for me. Or, that's fine. There may be a place for all of those things. But here at Horizon West Church, we just feel like we've got a lot of clarity about what the goal is. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And so when, when other goals or outcomes or potential, you know, uh, results come along, we go, man, does it fit with the goal? Does this help us proclaim Jesus? Does this help us make disciples? Because if it doesn't, we're not probably going to go in that direction. The reality is we're not trying to influence an election or engage in culture wars, and we're not trying to be the most entertaining thing in Central Florida. You may or may not know there's a place called Disney World five miles from here. They've got that. 
I was leaving the fall street party last night and pulling up our signs, and it was right when the fireworks were going on. And I had this random weird thought. We just, we did this incredible, I think, you know, God-honoring, beautiful event for the community. And I I saw one of these fireworks go off at Disney, and I was like, that was the budget for our fall street party. (laughs) Like, that firework, that one, like, that was it. We can't compete with the entertainment industry, and we're not trying to. We're not trying to form political action committees that, that, that get our causes on the table. Like, we have a unique call, and by the way, it's the same one that every church from the first century to the 21st has. Jesus said, go and make disciples. In other words, teach people, life on life, preaching, teaching, shepherding, in community with one another, teach people how to trust Jesus, not only for their eternal souls, but for their daily life, both, and teach them to integrate the person of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, such that God in them and through them makes a manifest difference on the world around them. Discipleship. And we have a few ways of saying that here. We we talk about our mission, to follow Jesus and lead others to do the same. There's nothing about entertainment in that. There's nothing about politics in that. Follow Jesus, lead others to do the same. It's also the reason our vision statement ends with the words and sharing the good news of Jesus with the world. Everything that we do is toward this one common goal. All the differences in the world, in our our, uh, makeup, in in our work, in our vocations, in our personalities, but we unify around this goal of going and making disciples of all nations. The Apostle Paul himself was driven by that singular goal. He knew it well, and in Acts 20, 24, he articulated it in this way. I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Say, Paul, what about these shipwrecks? What about these imprisonments? What about these beatings? What about this this abandonment and rejection? What about these long days and short nights and, and cold and hunger and all of that? And he says, all of that I can tolerate because all of that is helping me toward this one objective that I have for my life. I want to make Jesus known. What holds people together is not the similarities between their personalities or preferences. Rather, it is their alignment of purpose. That is the thing that holds people together. It's what holds churches together. It's what holds businesses together. It's what holds marriages together. Personalities and preferences can be wildly different, but when the purpose is aligned, you're going to move in the right direction. And in the case of the church, there's actually a someone who is holding us together around that purpose. That second unifying force is this, we share one spirit. Now, you don't need somebody who's got a, a, a degree or, or has studied all week to prepare this message. That is abundantly clear from this passage. Paul is saying over and over again, the same spirit, one spirit, the unifying spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, we share in together and it causes us to have a greater unity than we would have otherwise. In fact, in the seven verses that we read, six times he refers to this name, this word spirit. In the Greek, the word is pneuma. It can mean two things that have kind of a similar meaning. It can mean breath, and it can mean wind. 
So, so when, when the New Testament unpacks who the Holy Spirit is, and actually the Hebrew word for spirit in the Old Testament carries the exact same uh, definition. So the Spirit of God is like breath and he's like wind. It caused me to ask this question. What about the Holy Spirit is like breath and wind? And I would say this. Breath is intimate. When you feel someone's breath on you, that's about as close as you can get. That can be creepy close if you don't know the person well. But I'm, I'm saying like, you shouldn't be feeling somebody's breath unless there is a, a great deal of intimacy. There's closeness. And the Spirit of God is like that. The Spirit of God is closer than our skin. He's, he's within us. See, people go, oh, God is up there somewhere. He's looking down over us. No, he's not. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted Christ with your life, the very Spirit of God lives inside of you. The breath in your lungs, that's the name by which he goes. But it's also this term wind, and I go, oh, that's interesting. Because wind is similar to breath, right? Both have this kind of air, this movement, this force. But where breath is close and intimate, wind is powerful and unpredictable. We live in central Florida. Wind is powerful and unpredictable. I told you about the time it was a normal day. There was no hurricanes. There was no tornadoes. There wasn't even rain. And my family came home from an afternoon out, and our trampoline was in the side of our house. <laughs> just, just wind just went, whoosh, just threw it in. And I showed you the picture a while back. I tried to Picasso that thing back together, and it was like, man, the neighbors are going to die on this thing because it's just going to, it was just broken and bent. And it's like all of that just from the gust of a strong wind just trashed in that thing. Well, how's the Spirit like that? The Spirit is powerful. And can I say this? The Spirit is somewhat unpredictable. Now, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he's not erratic. But from my perspective, the things I expect God to do, the, the ways I think He should manage my life, man, He can be wildly unpredictable. God, why would you allow that? And in some cases, it's a, it's a wildly good thing. Wow, that was powerful. We've seen people at Horizon West Church. We've seen people be healed of things that the doctor said, we don't know the answer to that. We don't know how that happened. We've seen people who are far from God have an encounter with Jesus such that we ended up baptizing them as they verbalized their name and said, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. We've seen the Spirit of God move with power. So there's this wild power of the Spirit and there's this intimate closeness. And Jesus says, John chapter 3, that those who follow after him will be like that. I can't think of a better description for a healthy church. Intimate closeness. I don't want you breathing on me. I'm speaking metaphorically. Intimate <laughs> closeness. You know, you know what that person's going through. You know the hard things, the, the things Simon talked about, where, where we're mutually supporting and encouraging each other through the hard things of life. We're praying for each other. You know the, the things that that person is going through, and you're praying. We see that here at this church. And then we see this other, these powerful moves of God. I think Paul is reminding the Corinthian church, hey, you're supposed to be a little bit like this. There is an invisible force, not just a, not, not an impersonal force, an invisible force personal force called the pneuma or the spirit of God who is within you and among you and by the way he's the one has given you all of the gifts that you possess 
Paul lists eight or nine in the passage, and, and if you're ever looking for an exhaustive list of spiritual gifts, you won't find it in the Bible. And so kind of people extrapolate from this passage and that passage and go, we think there's 38. Well, I don't know. There could be 3,000. Like, the point is, God equips us uniquely to serve the church. Let me quickly mention the ones he lists here. Wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, and interpretation. Now, this passage is not a passage about spiritual gifts. In a few weeks, we're going to get there because Paul's going to do a deeper dive on those gifts and others. The, the point that Paul's making here in chapter 12 is broader than that. The point he's making is that whatever gifts we possess, they all come from the one source, okay? Whatever gifts we possess, they come from one source. Let me, so that I don't leave you completely dangling. You're going, man, you're talking about spiritual gifts. I have some questions. Let me say two things that I believe to be true about gifts, and then we'll unpack them more in the coming weeks. Number one, every gift the Holy Spirit gives so the gift of, of healing, the gift of teaching, the gift of wisdom, the gift of mercy, the gift of help, whatever that might be, all of them come from the Spirit of God. We didn't just like pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and go, man, I watched several TED Talks and now I'm a gifted speaker. Like if you can speak and teach and you're a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God enabled that. He empowered that. So that's first. Secondly, I would say this, all the gifts of the Spirit that were present then are present now. That's what I believe. Not, not everyone operates with that same understanding. And some of these gifts, you're going, well, you believe in, the, in these kind of sensational, what might be called sensational gifts? I do because I've seen them manifest and because the word of God, I believe, attests to their ongoing presence. Now, you're not gonna probably see people like doing some of the more sensational gifts in a corporate setting. We're gonna get to all of that. But if the spirit of God is the same God in the first century working within the Corinthian church, he's the same God here and now. Okay, so that's my, that's my brief pin. We're going to come back to that in a little bit here. Again, that broader point, verse 11, is that all of these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And from there, Paul is going to make this third point in the passage. And this is where that unifying force, that oneness, really becomes the real deal. He says this, we are one body. So we not only have one common goal, we not only share one common spirit, but he actually says in the power of the Spirit of God who inspired Paul to write the words that as a church, as believers following Jesus together, we are one body. Sociologists would tell us that self-preservation or you might call it survival instinct is the most basic impulse known to human beings. There's nothing more basic. We see it in newborns and infants. The reason they scream and cry is because they're hungry. They need to be fed. We see it in people who are aging and dying, the impulse to hold on to life. We see it in, in tragic or traumatic situations where not only are individuals fighting for life, but other people are diving in to help. The impulse to survive, the impulse to preserve our own persons is absolutely basic to being a human being. It's why you may let the dishes pile up, but you're not going to ignore a mass growing on your arm. <laughs> One takes priority over the other. You might put off cleaning your room, kids, teenagers, and adults, but if you're bleeding out, you're probably going to run to the hospital pretty quickly. You might not even be motivated to make a lot more money. You're good where you're at, but you are motivated to eat. And if you're not making enough money to feed yourself, you're going to act on that. Why? 
because of self-preservation. Because before we attend to all of the other things in our life, the first question is, is my body well? When we're sick, when we're injured, when we're not physically well, it affects every area of our life. And when a person becomes spiritually or emotionally unwell, the most critical tell is that they start to ignore or let go of their own body. That's where if you're a family member or a friend, you go, oh, we got to step in here. Something's going on. They haven't cut their hair or washed it or, or shaved in weeks or months. They're they're maybe gaining weight like radically and overeating or they're starving themselves and they're wasting away. Like there's something going on in really, really desperate situations. A person might even ignore really obvious health issues that could kill them or in some cases even do self-injurious behavior because they've gotten to a place where they no longer care about their own physical body. What Paul's trying to say to the church is think of yourself like a body. And if there is any health and any life in you, you should be caring about the well-being of your body, which is the church. By calling the church a body, Paul is highlighting the interconnectedness and the immediate concern believers are to have for one another. And he says, it's not just that you're one body. It is a very specific body. He says, you are the body of Christ. Verse 12 Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, prior to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 being written, if you were to ask any follower of Jesus in the first century to describe the body of Christ, they're going to tell you about the person of Jesus. The the rabbi from Nazareth who taught and healed, that was the body of Christ, which meant that in around 33 A.D., When Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to the Father, the body of Christ was no longer on earth. And Paul says, hang on a second. Hang on a second. The body of Christ is still here, and it is his church. That seems like a radical jump, and and you go, Paul, what what is your thinking in equating the, the physical body of Jesus himself, who is now at the right hand of the Father, with equating that with the local church? Let me draw the parallels. Number one, Christ was empowered by the Spirit to fulfill his calling, and oh, guess what? So are we. Christ was sent by the Father on a mission to save the world, and guess what? So are we. 2 Corinthians 5.18, he writes, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Which means that where Jesus left off in his earthly mission— we were immediately to pick up that baton and keep running. And every generation of Christians is to hand that baton on to the next. I think it was Timothy Keller or one of those others who said every generation of Christians both loses the gospel and has to rediscover it. Doesn't mean the gospel changes. It just means that if we take for granted, well, of course our children are going to love Jesus. Uh, Of course our church will always, no, it won't unless we're intentional, unless we understand what the body of Christ is meant to do. The body of Christ, the church, is to continue the mission of Jesus himself. And and Christ was fully surrendered to the will of the Father. Now this one's different because I can say confidently Christ was filled with the Spirit, so are we. Christ was sent by the Father, so are we. But when I say to you Christ was fully surrendered to the Father, I have to put a question mark at the end and say it like this. So are we? 
because that one's not automatic. Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, Paul says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, which means you don't have to wake up every day and go, God, have you, have you gifted me? Yes, he has. God, did you call me? Yes, he has. The question we got to ask ourselves is, God, am I surrendered to your will? Do you remember the night that Jesus was betrayed? He's on his knees in a garden praying to the Father, and he says, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, let this cup pass for me. In other words, I'm not really excited about going to a cross and bleeding and dying, suffocating for the sins of the world. That's not how I would choose to spend my weekend. He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Picture the body of Christ on his knees, sweating, as, as the scripture says, as if drops of blood from his body. Anguish, agony, the body of Christ broken for us, crucified for us. And Paul says, the body of Christ is still around and it is you. Not you individual, you the church. This is why in scripture there, there is no context for a Christian who's not connected to a church. Uh, one of the things I hear over and over again, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And I would say, you don't have to go to church to be a saved person. But you can't really live as a Christian outside of the body of Christ. I mean, unless you're like in extreme circumstances like solitary confinement in prison, or, or, or you're, you're uh, in, a, in a nursing home, or you're a shut-in, like there are, and God is able to meet those needs. But what is normative for the Christian life is to be connected because we are a body. 20 years ago this year, 2003, the song came out by Casting Crowns. Some of you will remember it. It went, if we are the body. And the song asked this basic question. Understanding what the body of Christ went through to save the world. How he gave everything, even his own life. If we are the body and we are, why aren't the arms of Christ reaching anymore? Why isn't his heart bleeding for lost people? If we're carrying that baton, why don't we look more like Jesus? Now this was not spoken to any one particular church, but the question is asked of the church, and I might put it in the context of the church in America, if we are the body, why do we look the way that we do? Earlier this week I had the chance to be in a kind of an interview format with a very, very close friend of mine who identifies as a uh, atheist, agnostic, or a humanist, and a, another friend who's a filmmaker allowed us to do an on-camera interview with each other. The, the caveat was neither of us got to share the questions we were going to ask the other person. Um, now, this is, you don't need to know this, it was just kind of funny. Uh, my buddy Michael, he thought he was going to get like a, you know, a, hey, gotcha, like a atheist versus pastor, and we're like super close friends, and so we're like, oh, this is just, I'm not, I'm not going to grill you, like I'm going to have a conversation with you. And one of the questions that my buddy asked me as we had this kind of on-camera interview, he said, there is a growing number, and you can't deny this, this is research, there is a growing number of people, especially in the millennial and Gen Z generations, who identify with the term nuns. Don't think Sister Act or Sound of Music, not that kind of nun. N-O-N-E-S. In other words, when they fill out a survey about religious belief, are you this, are you this, are you this, are you this, they get to the bottom and they say, none of the above have no religious affiliation. And my buddy asked me the question, he said, as a pastor, how do you feel about that? 
Do you know what immediately came out of my mouth? I said, man, I feel hopeful. Do you know why? When Jesus, the original incarnate body of Christ, the Son of God, came to earth, do you know who was magnetically and profoundly attracted to him? The nuns. People that had no religious affiliation. The people that were described as tax collectors and sinners. And this rabbi Jesus showed up. And the way that he powerfully spoke truth, and the way that he tenderly healed, the way that he graciously forgave the marginalized and the outcast, they looked at Jesus and they didn't need religion to see truth. They said, I want to follow a man like this. You know why I'm hopeful? Because if we're the body of Christ and some of these people and I've got siblings and I've got friends and I've got kids I used to be in worship teams with in high school who would no longer identify as followers of Jesus and I have this great hope and I might be delusional but I'm getting, giving my life to it that if some of those who have walked away from religion see the body of Christ as in the church look like Jesus, they might do what they did when Jesus showed up and say, I'll follow someone like that. I'm so hopeful, friends. In the middle of the mess, in the middle of the chaos, we've got imperfections, we've got limitations. We're no different than any church on any corner, anywhere in America, but yet we hold to this hope that the God who saved the world in the person of Jesus is still trying to save the world, and he's doing it through us. And so I believe 1 Corinthians 12 is simply a call for everyone to do something. Every part of your body right now is working to do something. Even as you sit there, still and inactive, there are things going on in your body that are like crazy, right? Blood is pumping and your mind is racing and your, your pulse and your heart's beating. All these things are happening at all times. The body is always at work together. Let me make this real practical. There are things every Sunday, there are opportunities regularly at the Horizon West Church for you to engage as a part of this body. What we would love to see is people who start to identify, man, you know what, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at, at interacting with kids and I've got some experience doing that or I don't have experience, but I think I, I'd love to serve. We'd love to have you in our kids' ministry. Some of you have muscles that are even bigger than mine and you can lift things. You're allowed to laugh. I said it to be funny. You can lift things. You can, you know, do, do the, the load in, load out. We need more people at the helm there. We need help in that. We, we've got people, we're, we're doing things like going to Belize. In fact, right after this service, we've got an interest meeting out toward the kids' uh, area in one of the rooms. It, it, 30 minutes, if you want to know how you could serve the Lord in another place, and you just want to get that information, we're going to be there. Everybody does something. When it comes to family advocacy ministry, or reaching Disney college program students, or Celebrate Recovery, not everyone is called to do everything. Can I alleviate that burden from you? You don't have to do everything. But find the one or two things that you are uniquely gifted for and passionate about and do something. That might be financial support. You may say, hi, I can't go to Belize in February, but I'd love to send somebody in my place. Here's a check for the full amount. It, it might be, hey, I can't show up every night at this ministry, but I'm going to write down the name of Celebrate Recovery or Disney College Program, and I'm going to pray every day or multiple times a week that God works in and through that ministry. Every part of the body is doing something. 
Let me close uh, with a story that I heard when I was a teenager, first following after Jesus, and it has never left me and it never will. There's an evangelist in the 19th century who I don't know beyond this one quote, and I'll tell you in a moment why I even know the quote or the name. Henry Varley said these words, the world has yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. I'm going to put a generic man on that, a man or a woman fully consecrated to God. When Henry Varley uttered those words in the 19th century, there was a young American who was visiting Dublin, Ireland and happened to hear those words stated. That young young American returned to America, more specifically Chicago, with a fire in his belly to become that man, a man who was fully consecrated to God. And by the end of his life, that man had founded a institute for teaching the Bible. It was called the Chicago, Chicago Bible Institute. And after his death, it was renamed for him, Moody Bible Institute. Dwight L. Moody had a ministry that spanned decades, influenced preachers like Charles Spurgeon in England, influenced missionaries like Hudson Taylor in China. Actually, one of our presidents, Dwight Eisenhower, was named after Dwight L. Moody. And by the end of his life, before the era of podcasts and YouTube and all of the rest, it is believed that Dwight Moody had preached the gospel to over 100 million people. All of it in an effort to be that man fully consecrated to God. And legend has it, I haven't found if this is documented or verifiable, but legend has it, I've heard, that on Dwight Moody's deathbed, he said these words, the world has still yet to see. I think about that and I go, wow. What would it look like for a church to say it in this way? The world has yet to see what God can do with a church fully consecrated to him. A church that's not chasing the distractions, not engaging the culture wars, not trying to get a party elected, but saying Jesus is the hope of the world and we are his body here on earth. I leave you with that. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the mission that we get to be brought back to daily, weekly, again and again. Because honestly, God, in my own life, in the busyness and the hustle and the bustle, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I lose sight. Sometimes the job becomes a job and I forget that at 15 years old, you called me to go and make disciples of all nations, to preach the gospel, to lead churches, to send workers into the harvest field, to equip your people for the work of ministry. God, we are those people and we're asking that in new and fresh ways in the days ahead, that the fire of the Spirit of God would fill us, consume us, and that we would begin to make a tangible difference in the world around us, not for our glory, but for yours, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.